and gentlemen, what is up? Coming to you from the Cosa Nostra studios, I'm Matty Buller, and thank you for tuning in to Almost Wise Guys, Episode 3. This is our look at the upcoming Week 3 games across the NFL, and we've got a great episode ahead. With me, as always, from Always Wise Guys Central, is Andy, the prognosticator Attridge. What's the good word, Andy? Well, Matty, we had a pretty good week, too, on the gridiron. If you exclude Thursday's pick, which my dog Woody had done, uh, we were 10-5 and five against the spread. And of those five losses, two of them included Miami and Tampa Bay, who were both playing the first games of the season. I sort of expected Hurricane Irma's distraction to have more of a negative impact on the performance, but indeed it did not. Uh, not only did both teams cover the spread, but they won outright. Uh, I was a little off base on the Monday Nighter. I was thinking that the Giants... Although I sold the G-Men. Well, I thought that they would right the ship, Titanic. Yeah, going uh, down. Could be... It could be further from the truth. They are going in totally the opposite direction, SS Minnow. Their offensive line, honestly, they should be called the Widowmakers because Manning had his ass handed to him. He was sacked five times. I don't even know uh, how many more times he was knocked down, but uh, they looked they looked horrible. But we, however, were on the right side of a few dogs like Indy, San Fran, and the Broncos. Those are good calls. So, they were. So hopefully all weeks will be as fruitious for us, but for now we'll keep the qualifier of almost in our title, Almost Wise Guys. A wise guy, eh? How do you like that? Oh, a wise guy. Wise guy! What's the matter? Wise guy? A wise guy, huh? Today we will be discussing news of the day, a look at the Sunday and Monday Nighters, along with some of the other games, including the Bears, Steelers, Saints, Panthers, Shithawks, Titans, Browns, Colts, Texans, Patriots, and our weekly check-in with Woody the Beagle to see who he likes on Thursday night between the Rams of L.A. and Andy's San Francisco 49ers. Now, we'll also have a special report about the first U.K. matchup between the Ravens and Jags, featuring an interview with Andy and Bruce Robson, longtime sports fanatic and native resident of England. Bruce is going to offer insights into what the NFL means and to the people of the United Kingdom. And, of course, we're going to have our POTUS picks. Also, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so that you automatically receive the weekly episodes once they're available. And please check us out on Facebook at Almost Wise Guys. Hit us up with a like. All right, well, let's move on to the news of the week. News of the week. Maddie, I know you're itching to talk about this. So please explain to our listeners, both boxing and non-boxing fans alike, exactly what happened on Saturday night between Alvarez and Triple G. Well, it was a great fight. Just a horrible fucking decision. So you got to separate it like that. Great fight, horrible decision. Like if you were a boxing fan, then you were on the edge of your seat Saturday night for this tilt, and it was everything that it was pimped to be. These are two of the best boxers in the world at their weight class, and they brought it. Unfortunately, can't say the same for the judges. Uh, calling that fight a draw is like doing it with a Victoria's Secret model, but you don't get to come. It was fucking ridiculous. I had them tying three rounds, Canelo winning five and Triple G winning four. So I did have Canelo winning it outright, but it was a tight fight. But I thought Canelo did enough to win. He was consistently making Triple G miss, scored the more power punches. However, big props to Triple G's chin. Alvarez at one point threw an overhand right that would have knocked anyone else at. I'm looking at you, 
Amir Khan, but uh, Triple G just walked right through it. The guy is, in fact, the real life Ivan Drago. If he dies, he dies. That being said, I can't wait for the rematch to which uh, both fighters have already agreed and props to boxing as well. The powers that be are finally starting to put together the fights that the public want to see, and that's great for the sport. And Matty, while we're on the topic of boxing, we just want to acknowledge the passing of Jake LaMotta this week at the age of five. He was indeed great for the sport of boxing. Uh, he was indeed. Rest in peace to the Raging Bull, one of the only guys that could give sh the Sugar Ray Robinson a run for his money. All right, on to other news. The Falcons opened up the new house on Sunday night at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So this is a tip of the hat to the owner of the Falcons, Arthur Blank, who approved the following concession prices. Hot dog. Two bucks. Pizza slice, three bucks. Cheeseburger, five bucks. And beer, a very humane five dollars. Sweet. Now let's compare that to Robert Kraft's Gillette Stadium where the Chavs could think twelve bucks for a gold one. And who said all NFL owners were greedy? Yeah, Mr. Blank's a good guy. Now, Maddie, I know that you the contender. You're in training right now, but under normal circumstances, what's your favorite football food? Oh, easy. Gotta go with the hot pretzel, hands down. Just goes great with a tall, frosty barley pop. Mmm, beer. All right, we're going to move on to the uh, weekly picks. And let's start with the Thursday nighter, the dog's breakfast. Andy, how did Woody see it this week? This week, my beagle Woody has already picked a Thursday night game between the Rams of L.A. and my San Francisco 49ers. Woody was aware that the 49ers were three-point dogs at home. He also knew that San Fran went 2-14 and 14 last season with both wins coming against the Rams. Check out our Facebook page, Almost Wise Guys, to see who Woody selected. Ladies and gentlemen, it's... Tea Time with Bruce Robson. Now, Bruce is an old friend of Andy's whom Andy met when he was tinkling the ivories across the pond in Great Britain back in the early 90s. Bruce is a big sports fan and was kind enough to offer his opinion and prediction about the NFL game. The Ravens and Jags are playing at Wembley Stadium this Sunday morning. Bruce, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. I'm good. Uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, Bruce and I met back in 1993 in Sidmouth, Devonshire, which is in England, and we worked at the same hotel together. How are things in sunny Sidmouth? Uh, well, it's raining at the moment. No! It's always usually sunny in the valley. Right. Uh, uh, Bruce introduced me to the idea of UK... Uh, bookmaking and gambling and uh, I've never been the same since. The reason why we're calling Bruce is to get his read on the game between the Baltimore Ravens and the Jacksonville Jaguars taking place this Sunday at Wembley Stadium. Bruce, give us your general thoughts and feelings about the NFL playing in England. Well, I think it's great. It's, it's very popular. Um, so I, I haven't been to any of the games myself but um, uh, a friend of mine has been um, and they had a great time, um, and I know it's very popular on the TV over here. Um, they have a lot of games shown live, and, and certainly a lot of highlight shows of, of various different games. 
I, I noticed that the, usually the day before the game, they have a rally uh, on Regent Street, which I think last year attracted over 100,000 fans. Do you think most of these are expats or people indigenous to England? Um, I'm not sure. I reckon it's probably a good mixture. Um, but I know, I know a lot of uh, British people are keen on, on the NFL and, and you know, American football. So it has been well-received. Yeah, oh, I know, and then the games are always really well attended, uh, pretty much sell-out crowds, I think. Now, this is Jacksonville's, I think, their fourth time playing there. Uh, have you noticed any favorites or crowd favorites or teams that pe- the people seem to be rooting for more than others? Um, I, no, I'm, I'm, no I'm, I wouldn't be sure on who's going to be sort of, you know, the most popular. Um I think a lot of people go just to watch the game as opposed to actually supporting one side or the other. So more of the spectacle aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's probably the the idea is to try and get the game more popular over here. Yeah, well, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, has, has gone out of his way to make sure that it's been uh, put in front of European fans. I think they're talking about games in Germany possibly in the next couple of years as well. Um, so yeah. we'll see how that experiment unfolds. So this week, this, the spread is uh, the Ravens are favored at minus three and a half. Um, from what I've noticed, generally speaking, the, the team that uh, the team that wins is a team that seems to not go out and party the night before. So I don't know which coach is more of the disciplinarian, but I would like to get your take and your pick on this game. Um, well, I I would think. If I had to go for a, a winning side, I'd probably go for Jacksonville, I would think. You like them at three and a half point dogs? I would have thought so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so let's hope that the Ravens know how to party. You and I partied in London more than once, and hopefully they don't, they don't get themselves into too much trouble. <laughs> now, Bruce is, uh, just for the benefit of our fans, uh, Bruce is a Manchester United fan. And, man, you get off to a big start this year. In fact, they're number one tied neck and neck with their crosstown rivals, Man City. How do you see this season unfolding for the Reds? Um, well, they've got, they've, they've got a new manager, the guy from, well, he was there last year as well, but he was just starting to build the team, I think. Um, I think they'll probably be up there with either Man City or Chelsea. So it's, it's kind of... The usual suspects, I would think, one of those three will probably win it, um, as they have done for about the last 15 years. And just before we let you go, Bruce, there's there's one interesting story that I'd like to for you to share with our audience. Uh, when I lived in England in 1993, your dad was fortunate enough to win the, the soccer pools for the week. Yeah. Can you yeah, just give us a little background on that? Yeah, he, um, we had this thing, <clears throat> it, I mean, since we've started doing the national lottery now, about 20 years ago, the pools is, is slightly less, uh, it's, 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 a, it's not quite as big a thing, but back in the day, that was like the biggest um, like gambling thing, and you would try and mark down each soccer game, which was going to be a draw, um, and he picked that eight eight draws one week and um, yeah he won 140,000 pounds 
No small payday. Nah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's very tough. Well, I remember that. What I remember is the uh, celebration party at the pub a couple weeks later. Yeah. Well, maybe not all of it, but most of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Bruce, thanks so much for your time. Uh, as I look ahead on the schedule, I see three more games in London. Perhaps we'll check in with you later in the season. Yeah, well, sure. Because, um, uh, you know, and, and on a similar note, I know that our rugby... Um, I tried to do a similar thing and, and there was a game over in I think it was in, in Philadelphia or Chicago um, last week um, I think you know we're trying to we're trying to spread rugby over to the USA and to Canada um, but whether it's whether it's having the same effect I'm not sure because I watched a lot of the game and and the crowd seemed to be a little bit disappointing <laughs> Uh, no surprise, no surprise. Well, we'll keep a close eye on that. I'll watch out for those games and, and perhaps get your input on some of them ahead of time. Yeah, sure. All right, well, thanks again for uh, for making time for us, and hopefully we'll speak soon. Okay, no All right, thanks to Bruce Robson for giving his uh, two cents from across the ponds, or two pence worth, I guess you'd say. And also great job to Andy on the interview. And let's move on to our picks for the week. We'll start with Pittsburgh at Chicago. Chicago plus seven and the over-under at 45 and a half. These are two teams with uh, truly rich histories that epitomize what the game of football is all about. Now, the Steelers played a little better on Sundays against the Vikes than they did a week before the Browns. That being said, Antonio Brown only had 62 yards receiving, and Le'Veon Bell has yet to crack the century mark on the ground. Unfortunately for the Steelers fans, T.J. Watt, who had a sensational debut in Week 1 with two sacks and a pick, had to leave the game Sunday with a growing injury. A what? Get your scores from a guy like me who knows what it's like to have a groin injury. Andy, my Bears had their asses handed to them against the Bucks. What say you for this game? Well, I'll be honest, it wasn't really comforting to see Jordan Howard leaving the game with a sling, especially when you consider how many receiving options they have left. That being said, the Bears are 5-2 and two against the spread in the last seven against Pittsburgh. I consider this a pretty big spread. To me, the Steelers, I know they're 2-0, but they don't look quite in rhythm yet, and I'm not sure if they correct that entirely this week. Let me take the home dog, plus a touchdown at Soldier Field. My pick, the Bears. The Bears. The Bears. Well, after watching that last week game against the Buck, i got to say I'm not really excited about the Mike Glennon era in Chicago. Uh, that guy couldn't hit sand if he fell off a camel. Uh, if his play keeps up like this, how many weeks you figure John Fox gives Glennon until we see rookie Mitch Trubinsky? Well, I'm not sure about John Fox, but if the Bears fans had it their way, he would be in before the sermon ended on Sunday at St. Mary of the Angels Cathedral in downtown Chicago. <laughs> That's so true, buddy. Either way, the Bears defense is looking great, and Tariq Cohen's been a, a great surprise as an all-purpose back, showing little Marshall Falk-type flashes, and he's adding to Howard's more conventional running game, opening up a few more options for whoever's going to play quarterback. Uh, the Bears' secondary will have its hands full, though, with Pittsburgh's high-octane receiving core. I think they can keep it close, especially if they can put the pressure on Big Ben. Old-time football here, 
expect the Bears to keep it close at home. I don't think they win on the money line, but I'm with you, buddy. They will cover. Uh, take the Bears with the points and most definitely take the under. Before we move on to the next game, I, I got to say, we mentioned old-time football, we, and we mentioned a high-octane receiving court. There's been something that's been bugging me since the beginning of the season. You've got Antonio Brown, who shows up to games wearing what I would consider pimp suits, all decked out in pink and flashy colors. He wears fur coats. He even arrived at training camp in a Rolls Royce. Now, to me, Pittsburgh seems like one of the most blue-collar towns in the country. I don't think anyone would argue with that. What do you think guys like Mean Joe Green or, say, Jack Lambert would have to say about that? I'm not sure. Anyway, I digress. How to get off my chest. I'd have to say Mean Joe Green would probably throw his sweaty towel at him and say, here you go, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Let's move to the next game. Actually, before we do, let's uh, crack the beers. The beers. So tasty. All right, New Orleans at Carolina. Carolina favored at minus five and a half with the over-under set at 46 and a half. Uh, New Orleans could probably field 11 pylons on defense and they have a better chance of winning than if they actually fielded their defense. Uh, if they were at a crime scene, I'd bet the farm that they couldn't cover a dead body with a sheet. Uh, Drew Brees could put up 50 points, they'd still lose the game. And yeah, Newton's arm might be sore, but he could pass for 300 yards with his left hand against what is essentially a Division II NCAA defense. Take Carolina to cover and take the over. You're right, Matt. New Orleans, they've allowed over 1,000 yards on defense in two games this season. Wow. This is a team with a fleur-de-lis on their helmet, and they look, <laughs> how should we say, horrible, mauvais, miserable. I'm literally running out of English words to describe the level of talent on that defense. And I, too, didn't like the way that Newton's arm looked at the end of the game last week. He definitely looked hurt. Their offensive line, as I said, and now Cam's lost his security blanket with the injury to Greg Olson. Guess what? I'm taking the points and the Saints. Nice. Now we're moving on. The Cleveland Browns versus the Indianapolis Colts. Colts are favored at home by just a point and a half, and the over-under sitting at 40 points even. And uh, I'm not even really sure what to say, but There's not a lot to say. Um, since the beginning of the football season, we've seen hurricanes, earthquakes, even threats of nuclear war. But the sure sign of the apocalypse is the fact that the Browns are favored on the road. I know it's only one and a half points, which is sort of a meaningless spread, but it's it's symbolic in the sense that it's the first time that they've been favored anywhere since 2015, which actually speaks more to the current state of affairs in Indy, where they're now on their third-string quarterback. Now, Indy's defense, not great, they're decent. And the last they checked, they still have in their backfield a future Hall of Famer, Frank Gore. Now, even with Jacoby Brissett playing QB, whom, if you remember, cut his teeth in New England, backing up a guy named Tom Brady, Who? I think they still have a chance. With Chuck Pagano on the hot seat, I'm taking the home dog, the Colts. Yeah, without luck, uh, I don't think so. An offensive line, they have no, they have no luck, no offensive line. Uh, the Colts are a team that uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Wishes it was Cleveland. <laughs> uh, the Browns are generating more yards per game, 311 to two four to 245. 
uh, more passing yards a game, 236 to 170, and have more points per game, outscoring the Colts 14 to 11. Once again, can't believe I'm going to say this, but take the Browns on the road. Famous last words. <laughs> now let's move on to Houston, who's playing in New England. New England are 13 and a half point favorites with a total of 44. This is the curious case of Benjamin Button, or in this case, Tom Brady. Uh, as we know, last week he threw for 447 yards and three touchdown passes, all of which came in the first half. We all know what Brady's about. The guy won my fantasy pool single-handedly last week. Um, moi aussi. Moi aussi on DraftKings. Um, but now for Houston's defense, Brian Cushing, he's out for 10 games for use of PEDs. I guess that's what you get in this league. You get a little more vitamin C to your orange juice, 10 games. Um, beat the crap out of your girlfriend, allegedly. Allegedly. And then you get six games. So, uh, just need to be said. But let's look who is in the defense for the Houston Texans. You've got a what? A clowny. A merciless. Yeah, they got those guys. But unless the Houston Texans show up with the 85 Bears defense or a team of dick cuts, uh, the Pats are going to blow them right out of the fucking water. They're probably still pissed about week one at home. The Pats like have the longest memory in the NFL, and they are uh, like, I don't even like the Pats. Got to respect the fact that like they lose once and it sticks in their craw for an entire season, right? Uh, I say the Pats cover and the Texans continue to struggle on the offensive side of the ball. I totally agree with that. I think Belichick's thinking about week one probably till Christmas. But right now, I'm going to take the points with Houston. There's a qualifier in it. I will reserve the right to change my pick, which we will do on Facebook, if I find out that Amendola and Hightower are both back in the lineup. Now, I mentioned earlier that New Orleans is giving up over 500 yards a game on defense. 512 and a half, to be exact. The second-to-last team on that same list is averaging 483 yards allowed per game. Now, you guess who that is? I'm not sure. The defending Super Bowl champs, the New England Patriots. Let's move along to Seattle at Tennessee. The game opened at uh, field goal, but I see the line has moved down now to minus two and a half, the total being 43. Seattle registered the first touchdown of the year last week in the fourth quarter against the Niners. They failed to cover as 13 and a half point favorites. But in fairness to them, it's really difficult to cover 13 and a half points when you only score 12. Tennessee, however, really looked like a team that could possibly win their division. My pick here, straight up, Titans, especially under the field goal. Yeah, Seattle looks like they're moving in the wrong direction. The Titans look like they're the Jeffersons, just moving on up. Expect Tennessee to cover at home. is a pirate blustering in from sea with a rollicking song he sweeps along swaggering boisterously his face is weather beaten he wears a hooded sash with a silver hat about his head and a bristling black mustache 
He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold. And the trees all shake and quiver and quake as he robs them of their gold. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. All right, Sunday nighter, Oakland at Washington. Washington is three-point dogs with a 54-point even over-under. And uh, the Raiders, they're heading across the country to the nation's capital. Now, this is a rematch of Super Bowl eighteen. Featuring Marcus Allen and Robert John the Diesel Riggins. Uh, the Raiders won that one 38-9. By the way, Matty, I'm not sure if you knew this, but that's the most points ever posted by an AFC team in any Super Bowl. I was wrong about the Washington Redskins in each of the first two weeks. Washington D has given up over 25 points a game so far. Matty, as a former DB, i got to ask you this question. I saw a tweet this week from Terrell Pryor. Uh, it was directed to the Rams' safety, Cody Davis, uh, regarding one of his tackles on Sunday. And it goes like this. Uh, sorry, ask Cody Davis, Rule 101, not a dirty play, but we all want success. Try to hit a little higher and not take out the knees in the future. Thank you. <laughs> well, what I would do is tweet him back and tell him to stop acting like a whiny little bitch. Uh, dude is 6'4", 228 pounds. That's Terrell Pryor, 6'4", 228. What, are def- defenders going to arm tackle him? Like, he's going to go right through them. I'm so sick of the way players piss and moan about injuries. You want less injuries? Get good at chess and get the fuck out of football because it isn't just a contact sport, it's a collision sport. I mean... They've handcuffed defenders enough. They've taken away headshots, bump and run coverage, horse collar tackers, hitting quote a defenseless receiver, and that's how you. Do, that's how we used to dislodge a pass when the guy was laying out for it. Once he touched the ball, you take his bloody head off. I mean, if they take away the low hits, it's going to become the fucking National Touch Football League. And good luck making millions of dollars as a player if no one's watching your games. Low tackles are totally legit. And hearing a player ask another player to ease up on him makes me want to fucking puke. It would be like a boxer telling his opponent not to hit him in the head because it could hurt his career. It's part of the fucking game. If you don't, if you don't want to deal with it, go join the Glee Club. You're a fucking pussy. Well, thank you for sharing those feelings, Matty. It's, uh... That's but it's true, man. Really Fuck. Like- it's all about offense. Offense. Oh, my. The receiver, he just couldn't get away from the defensive back. Well, fucking, if you bench press a fucking truck, how can you not? Stop being a <laughs> pussy. Catch the goddamn football. Put some stickum on your arms. Well, the Raiders, uh, let's go to the numbers here. The Raiders are 4-1 and one straight up in the last five at Washington. And, in fact, they're thir- ten, sorry, in the last 13 games, they're 10-3 against the spread. Uh, when playing on the road as favorites. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. My pick, the Raiders. You're picking the Raiders, eh? I couldn't agree more. I think the autumn wind's upon us. It's rolling its way into the playoffs. You can count my prediction on that right now. I think the Raiders are playing some of their best ball in years. They got decent management about, and uh, they win with the points, but I think the over-under set at 54 is too high. Take the under if you like the action. 
Well, this is not an official pick, but I'm going to disagree with you on that total. Um, some books have already moved the 54 up to 55, and I've even seen uh, 55 and a half in, in, in some books. If Oakland scores early, and I think that they will, look for Cousins to have a big day through the air. All right, let's move on to the Monday Nighter. Dallas at Arizona. Arizona's three-point dogs against the Cowboys with a 47-point even over-under. Andy, set it up for us. Well, there weren't many winning teams last week that underwhelmed me as much as Arizona did with an overtime win against Indy, who was playing with their third-string quarterback. Carson Palmer looked old. David Johnson looked like he wasn't playing. Because he wasn't. (laughs) Of course. One thing else I want to acknowledge, now that we've run to the final game of the week, Arizona at home at plus three, um, there's actually 10 games of 16 this week where the home team is an underdog, which is uh, great news for wise guys, wise guys like us. Yes. Dallas just had their asses handed to them by the Broncos. There's no other way of putting it. Um, Zeke got eight yards and nine carries. It was just a bad day overall, and, and that's going to happen to any team. Um, yep, especially a, young, especially a young team like Dallas. Yeah. And it, it, it can happen. Well, you saw what happened with the Patriots in the first week. You yep. see, it just happens. Arizona is seven and one straight up in the last eight home games against Dallas. Now, that being said, Dallas has won fourteen of its last eighteen games straight up. I'm going to expect the Cowboys to bounce back to the land of respectability. My pick, Cowboys. Yeah, I agree with that one 100%. Arizona can't even come close to the pressure of Denver's defense that the Cowboys faced last week. Um, the Cowboys' offense gets loose, goes buck wild, pick the boys. All right, it's time for our POTUS picks. This is where we uh, dial up our line to the White House, as we've, I've mentioned before. Andy and I happened to meet uh, President Trump. He wasn't president yet at the time, but we met him at a learning annex. Talk some football. The guy likes it. He's willing to come on to our show. So uh, let's welcome the President of the United States, Mr. Donald Trump. And uh, President Trump, there uh, was really only one highlight to speak of in last Thursday night's game between the Texans and the Bengals, and that, of course, was Houston quarterback Deshaun Watson's 49-yard touchdown run. The way he ran with reckless abandon and handled the ball was reminiscent of uh, injury pro and RG3 a few years ago. What do you think of Deshaun Watson and his playing style? Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself. Mr. President, Marshawn Lynch fired up his hometown crowd in Oakland on Sunday with a sideline dance that put spectators into a frenzy. Raider Nation has earned a reputation of being a bunch of crazies over the past few decades in both L.A. and Oakland. What do you think about Raiders fans? They weren't crazy. They were great Americans. These people, if you would have seen these people, you I know what crazy is. I know all about crazies. <laughs> these weren't crazy. Well, this is a question for retired President Barack Obama. President Obama, now that you are retired and you've got more time to catch up on Da Bears, uh, what is your prediction for the team on the rest of the season? I would like to announce to my hometown of Chicago and all of America that I am ready for the Bears to go all the way, baby. 
Now we go to our prognosticator's pick where Andy, the prognosticator, Attridge, reaches into his little potpourri bag of awesomeness and picks us out a couple of sweet little prop nuggets to look at. What do you got for us this week, Mr. Prognosticator? Well, I do have one, and ironically, it's got nothing to do with play on the field. There's a line in Vegas already up that the first coach to be fired this year, which is at minus 150, would be Chuck Pagano of the Indianapolis Colts. I would be surprised to be still with Indy by the time the World Series wraps up, especially if they don't beat the Browns this week. Oh, if they don't beat the Browns this week, management's going to be like, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out because we don't want Pagano ass prints on our door. Exactly. Thank you to all our fans for listening to this, our third podcast of Almost Wise Guys. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit the subscribe button on iTunes so you don't miss a show. You can also hit us up on our Facebook fan page for additional content and picks from all week three games across the NFL. Thanks again to Bruce Robson from Devonshire, England. From the Cosa Nostra Studios for Andy the Prognosticator Attridge back at Almost Wise Guys Central, I'm Matty Buller. Get out and pick yourself a winner. Tune in next week at the same bet time on the same bet channel. Sayonara.